The human face has a total of 43 muscles and can make an estimated 10,000 expressions. Researchers across the world are using the face to analyse everything from illness, pain, sexuality, lifespan, trustworthiness, fighting ability and mood. The face really is the body's shop window. My name is Stephen Norton and you are very welcome to the Good Boss Bad Boss podcast episode 19. Thank you for joining me as we explore the world of work and leadership from a variety of different industries. This podcast seeks to entertain, educate and hopefully change some behaviour to make working life better for all. Before we get stuck into episode 19, I want to say thank you to you, the listener, for making all this worthwhile. In the past few months, the podcast has gone from strength to strength with listeners from all around the world. No matter where you are listening from, I really do value your attention. It is a real privilege, so thank you. In this fascinating episode, I am getting my face red. Yes, that's right. You will find out what my face says about me. My guest this month is Joseph Maguire, owner of Clearsight Communications and author of Face Facts, a book that helps leaders read others in negotiations, hiring and sales. Joseph has over 30 years experience of facial observation and insight. He's in demand from corporates who want to get the real truth on their potential hires and competitors. By reading the shape and lines and features and size of a face, Joseph can provide a precise and detailed analysis of a person's behaviour, personality and a host of other insights. So stay tuned and you will get to hear Joseph read my face. I was blown away by how accurate he was. Listen, learn and enjoy. Joseph Maguire, you are very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast. Episode 19, I believe. (laughs) Very impressive, Stephen. Delighted to be here. Thank you. You are a facial profiler. So the first yes. question, the first question everybody would have is, what is a facial profiler? Okay. It's a title I've, a title I've developed myself because I haven't come across anybody else uh, doing exactly what I do. But what I work with, it's an ancient Chinese system. It's um, the underst- it's, it, it, it's called Mian Xiong, but it, or, something approximately like that. I hope I'm not offending any Chinese listeners, uh, but it literally translates as face reading. And it's a system that's 3,000 years old. And the understanding is that our facial, our static facial features reveal a huge amount of information about our personality, behavior style, how we communicate both in terms of how we receive and process information and then how we communicate externally, stress triggers and responses, um, how the, the sort of energy and engagement we're likely to bring to work, um, health issues, because I learned it as a diagnostic tool initially, one of the one of the diagnostic tools used in traditional oriental medicine, um, parental influences, ancestral influences, both genetic, um, mental and emotional. So it's it, your, your static facial features give a huge amount of information about who you are, who, where you've been as well in terms of your your life history, not so much the detail, but how you've responded to life's challenges and tell a lot about the energy levels, again, on physical, mental and emotional that you're likely to bring into the future, depending on the choices you make. So that the, the, so, so at a very basic level, the concept is your life is written on your face. Absolutely, yes. Nice. Uh, Caroline Mace once said that your biology becomes your biography. And okay. it, in many ways, that kind of sums it up because the face in, in the Chinese system, the face is also a life map for uh, like, obviously the ears, strictly speaking, are not on the face, but the ears represent the first 14 years of life. And then we can look at the forehead areas representing the 20s, et cetera, working the way down. So when somebody has a significant mark, for example, or a bump or a significant mark or bump or indentation somewhere right. on the face, it can tell you what period of life it happened and whether it was whether it was really significant. Like, for example, um, I'm, I'm teaching an online course at the moment. And one of my one of the, the, the students um, sent me a photo of her forehead and asked about a, a very significant indentation. And I, was, I, I told her that it was, it was some form, I, I, I couldn't be specific, but I said it was a trauma that happened between the ages of 24 and 27. And I couldn't narrow it down beyond that. But she came back and said, oh, yes, that makes perfect sense. So an event had happened? An event had definitely happened, yeah. And I've had that too with people with their ears. Um, on so many occasions, particularly for, I don't know why, but so many occasions at the age of four seems to be really significant. Now, child psychologists may be able to give us some information there, but I've had it so often with people that their ears tell me that something really, really significant happened at the age of four. 
wow. and has had and has some you know a major lasting impact on how they've how they've perceived life. Your name is Joseph Maguire, and you're not of the Hong Kong Maguires. How did <laughs> <laughs> how did you get into uh, three thousand year old Chinese uh, medicine? So where 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 does your journey start? Well, there was never a master plan on my on my part anyway. Maybe by my subconscious or whatever was was directing something. But from from a very early age, I I I know I I remember that I I instinctively knew a lot about people. Um, and like the earliest memory I have is sitting on the floor in my parents' home when adults would gather, and knowing that I instinctively knew a lot about the men in particular. Now, I've right. said it before, but women remain one of the great mysteries, but then that, that mm-hmm. applies to all yeah. men. <laughs> but yeah. um, but I, I instinctively knew, uh, not about not about like private details, but I just knew a lot about personality. And right. then when my father, my father introduced me to football at a very early age and brought me to matches, and I could see a lot of the patterns that were going to happen from how people were moving. And I, I just assumed everybody was doing it. Everybody could see it, but obviously, obviously every, everybody couldn't. Yeah. And then... Um, many years later, I found myself in London and I, I, I'd signed up for this evening course, which I thought was actually going to be about natural foods and nutrition, which I discovered before leaving Dublin. But it actually included um, training in Shiatsu, which is a branch of oriental medicine uh, using the same, it's sometimes referred to as acupuncture without needles. But we were, yeah. as part of that, we were introduced to facial diagnosis. And as I got into that, I, I discovered that the Chinese had been using it in, in not just in medicine, but in business and politics for the for 3000 years. And that became absolutely fascinating to me because that was for me like just light bulbs going off everywhere. Now I could have put a structure to what I was instinctively or intuitively doing. And then I was also working with one of my teachers in his health food store. So I was studying three, four nights a week and many weekends and then as soon and then working full time in the health food store. So as soon as anybody would come in, he would ask, "Okay, what's his condition? What's her condition?" So it was full on, really yeah. intensive training, and I just immersed myself in it. And then I was there. I was in London for four and a half years, and then I moved with my then girlfriend, now ex-wife, to Hamburg, where her best friend had married the the, the director of a centre in Hamburg which was a smaller version of where we had studied and, and met in London. Mm. And they were looking for people to come and work there. So it was the, it just seemed to be the next logical step to do to, to move there. So even though I didn't speak a word of German, we moved there and I started practicing and teaching there. Yeah. And that's where it all happened. And and at the time that you got into that, like when, when you went to, the, to that first lecture on, on what you thought was nutrition, what had you been doing? You know, were were you uh, working in computers or a bank or something? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, when I left school, I, I, I wasn't academic. I was academically capable, but I had no interest. Mm. So I spent I spent the last couple of years, my leaving cert years, in school uh, with a permanent headache from being told what I should be doing and, and rebelling against it internally and waiting for the next game of football. So I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't have the points to get into university, but I, I had no interest anyway. Yeah. So I, I just went into, I just went into a job when I left school, which was what was then a record and tape distribution company. Right. Um, for uh, so ta- the whole of the tapes, world. tapes are what we used to call MP3s. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. Some, pe- some people and were going, what is he talking about tapes? <laughs> absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So it was a whole it's a whole different world. And it obviously it obviously ages me. Um, but it was it was I loved music anyway. Yeah. So it, it, so it was it, it just kind of fitted. But then um, that that lasted four and a half years again for some reason four and a half years seemed to be significant but yeah. I the company closed so I was made redundant and I was able to then do something I'd always wanted to do which was go to Israel and spend time in a kibbutz so I used the redundancy money to get me out of Ireland and go to Israel and from Israel Israel I made my way to London so there was no master plan life just unfolded no excellent but you're obviously uh, one of the brave ones you don't you don't uh, uh you know, you face down the challenges and you go go for it. Obviously, even from that early age. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It was just that was the that was the door that that seemed up. That was the light that was shining brightest. Yeah, that's the be- that's the best way I can put it. Because right. I knew I knew I didn't I I, did, I couldn't see a future in Ireland, and um, 
like I was going to the pub most nights with my with my mates and hanging out there. And I just I knew that wasn't for me, but I couldn't see a future here. And it was that was 1980. So I was heading into a dark time in Ireland anyway. Yeah. So and but Israel had been calling me for a long time because I'd known people who'd been and what they'd told me of their time there was was really fascinating. Plus, mm. I'd read, I'd, I'd been a voracious reader anyway, and I, I, I would I would have read anything or get, get my hands on pretty much. And I was fascinated by the history of the whole, the the transition from Palestine to to Israel yeah, and how yeah. that all happened. Nineteen forty seven so, and the rest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's amazing that you say you weren't academic, but you're a voracious reader. And then you yeah. went in to pretty much study not just full time but twenty four seven. Uh, uh-huh. in, into into this Chinese, uh, the field of Chinese medicine, uh, working in the shop and studying at night. What was the next step after that? Were you actually practicing that? In, yeah, in, a, I, in a medicinal form, in a, in a, in a treatment oh, yes. form? Absolutely, yeah. When I moved to Hamburg, uh, the center was established. So I automatically came in as, as the, the shiatsu teacher, the shiatsu practitioner in the center. So, right. I, so it was ready. It was ready for me. Uh, so I was giving. I was giving treatments. I was giving classes because they also had the the center. They also had a contract with the local university to teach shi, three shiatsu courses. Yeah, three shiatsu courses each week. So I was the one who was doing that. So I just went straight into it from never having taught anything before, not yeah. speaking German, yeah. to um, full immersion in that. And then I also set up. Um, I made contact with their equivalent of the VEC around Northern Germany, the Volkshochschule. So I started teaching weekend courses in a whole variety of, of those around Northern Germany. So it was just full immersion. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so you, you did that for a number of years. You eventually found your way uh, back to Ireland. Yeah. But how did you switch over to the business world? I mean, so, you know, that that's why I'm talking to you now, because I was introduced oh, yeah. to you via the, the business world of of, of of facial profiling. But how do you make the switch from a medicinal to a, a, a business application of the, the skills that you learned? Okay. Yeah, well, I, I when I came back here, I, I, I started my own practice as a shiatsu practitioner and teaching workshops, et cetera, and seminars. And I added a number of other uh, therapeutic modalities uh, over the course of, of course of a number of years. But gradually in the, the, the workshops and the, the seminars I was giving on face reading, I was bringing in more of the personality communication stuff because that was ultimately far more fascinating to me than mm. the diagnostic stuff. And the yeah. Chinese perspective was always anyway that the mind, the mind is the source of illness. Yes. Rather than rather than a starting in the body, so that was just far yeah. more fascinating to me, and um, people were more people were, people intrigued me more than more than illness. So I was, as I say, I was bringing in more and more of that, and then over like I practiced as a therapist for almost thirty years, but wow. the latter the last the last few years, my body started to creak, and it started to tell me had enough of this, had enough of doing hands on work and dealing with people's deep problems because. As we know, many of them can be very, very deep indeed. And I started, um, it, while working as a therapist, I started engaging with a number of business networks. Mm-hmm. And one of them that I was involved with, um, we, we had a visitor coming from the UK. Mm-hmm. But she was, coming, she was coming basically to check on progress. And um, she was a very established business coach from the UK associated with, with, the, with the training yeah. The, the the business network and as it happened i was the only person who showed up for it so we ended up having a long conversation and i told her that I, my that my body was just saying had enough of being a therapist so she asked me what else could i do yeah and the only thing i was trained to do was read faces so she asked me to read her face which i did and she was quite blown away by it so right. she said that's what you need to do in a business context and i'd also then I was I, because I was because I was still reading voraciously. I was aware of it being used in the business context and business world in the U.S. especially. And one one particular guy, a guy called Mac Fulfer. Mac is a he's, he's, he's in Texas. He's a former lawyer, and he was introduced to face reading, and he started to practice it at county fairs just as a hobby. But he was right. getting such great responses, he started to bring it into the corporate world himself. And he, he developed it to such an extent that his law practice is now effectively gone. Okay. But he's in such demand for like jury selection, corporate training. So I had that model 
there in the back of my mind anyway. And then I checked out how uh, various other people were using it in the States because it was the only place I knew of they were doing it in a business context. And then I started to develop some kind of a model myself and road test it. So in terms of the clients that hire you now, you talked about uh, jury service or, or who actually hires a facial profiler in the corporate world? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, I, I don't do I don't do the jury selection bit. I don't work. I don't work with the with, with um, the, the, the law enforcement side of things or I, I deliberately steer clear of that because I working as a therapist, I would have treated so many people from that world. And I just found the energy was just too heavy for me. So in terms of the business world, I work primarily through through word of mouth referral. As I say, I've done a lot of business networking. And what I do is once I build an established, once I build a credible uh, relationship with somebody who does hire me, I will then ask them, okay, now you've seen my service, you've seen the use of it, you've got X benefit from it. Who can you introduce me to? Yeah. So yeah. I work kind of across the board. I don't I'm not I'm not restricted to any particular type of industry, but I've worked with, for example, I've worked with branding agencies. I've worked with pharma. I've worked with people in, in, in a variety of different financial services. Um, and typically what, I, what would happen would be I would be called to sit in on an interview for a senior level role. I could right. be called to help to help to sit in on negotiation to help read the people across the table. What's really going on behind what they're actually saying. And again, yeah. that, that, that applies with the, with the interviews as well, where I'm, I'm looking behind the CV and the qualifications and the smooth, smooth talk. Or I can be called to help with teams with their, both their internal and external communication. Because the fact that technically we're speaking the same language doesn't mean we understand or process language in anything like the same way as you know. Yeah. So it's to help people recognize that your communication style is this, but the person across the room they may have a completely different communication style. So they need to receive the information in a particular way rather than necessarily the way that's natural for you to communicate it. So when you were, say, in an interview, they literally have you in the room. Are you at the, are you on the panel or are you sitting in the back of the room or or what way does that work? No, typically, typically I'm with the either, it, it could be, it could be a single interviewer or it could be a panel. And typically I'm there and I'm introduced as a colleague or an associate. Right. So the interviewees, are not told exactly what my role is, yeah. and I and I, I would be I would be making notes. Generally, I, I may or may not speak, but generally, if I speak in the interview, it's to alert the my my colleagues to a red flag. Okay, so you kind but of then, you have yeah. a co- code, you have a code. Yeah. You you'll ask a yeah. question, say. If I ask them what they did in school, uh, they're, they're after making mm-hmm. <laughs> making making something yes. else. Well, yeah. and and. And how do your, the colleagues, the people that hire you, do they generally take on your feedback or sometimes do you have to argue with them? You know, they, they kind of go, well, I really liked Bob, the first candidate. He was a, mm-hmm. he was a strong, confident man and he came in mm-hmm. and, and did this and that. And you're kind of going, eh, I wouldn't go near Bob. <laughs> Does that ever happen? Okay. No, it's not quite like that because I, 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 I stipulate very, very clearly. I do not advise do or don't hire or do or don't promote the person. I say, right. if you take them, this if you take them, this is their real world behavior. This is what you're likely to get, but it's your decision. And have um, you ever no, had, had? Yeah, have you ever had a little bit of tension on that? No, because I just because because I've been hired through like, because I've been hired through that through that direct referral. So so there is credibility there before I even go in the door. Okay. And people and I'm like I make it very clear. It's your decision. I've given you the information. And um, you 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 decide. But I have had, I have had like one particular instance where I, I basically what happens is after the interview I will write up a profile, yeah, and saying what I found, and also to uh, to highlight any any potential red flags that I see, or to 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 provide a list of questions for a follow up interview, areas that they need to probe further. Okay. So right. very often, very often, I'm call, I, I could be called in at the early stage, or I could be called in at a later stage if they've got maybe a few apparently equal candidates. But I have had one particular example where um, I wrote up the profile, and the company hired the guy, and it didn't work. Mm. And then when they let him go, they read the profile again and said, "Uh, uh-uh, you said <laughs> this would happen, and this would happen, and this would happen, and that's exactly how it worked out." Fascinating. And so that's the interview side of things. What else do people hire you for? 
Well, it could be negotiation. And yeah. again, it's to read the people across the room. And it's that that is engaging in negotiation has been fascinating for me because it some people go into it they're they're so riddled with tension about it and yeah. others others have the experience to recognize that it is a game and okay. it may be a serious game and there may be serious financial yeah. you know financial implications etc but it is a game and those people tend to be the best negotiators anyway because yeah. the more what well, that's one of the big things i've learned that with negotiation the more relaxed calm relaxed calm confident relaxed one is the easier it is to think clearly on one's feet and to engage effectively now obviously one has to do the preparation yeah you know in terms of the technicalities etc but the more relaxed one is whereas if again the more the more tense people are the harder it is for them to think clearly and and respond um outside of their emotions Mm -hmm. because that's one of the big that's one of the big dangers um but then to look across the table and see who's in those various states and to see to see who's really making the decisions because it, the, the person making the decision may not be the person who's speaking. Yeah, and, and so in a negotiation situation, it's a little bit more live than an interview situation yeah. because obviously oh, yeah. in an interview, we get to ask the questions and we get to reflect on it afterwards and say, yes, we'll be in touch in a week or whatever it might be. Yeah. But in a negotiation situation, there might be a little bit more, what's your answer now? So is the dynamic of your role different within a negotiation? Okay. I Generally speaking, there will be breaks during a negotiation process. Mm. That would be, it would be unusual not to because anybody going into a negotiation where it's a do or die situation and it has to be decided now, you're automatically under massive, massive pressure. Mm. And that's not something, that's not something I recommend. No. Because if you're, if you go into a negotiation and you're not prepared to just walk away or you're not prepared to see a third or fourth or fifth option, you're not prepared. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody going into, anybody going into a negotiation and thinking we have to decide yay or nay now, that's mm. the wrong place to be. And yeah. that, that, there's no point in me being there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. So you take, you take the break in the negotiation and you'll have a quiet word about what you've noticed going on in, yeah. in the other people where maybe they've carried their, their, their tension, you know, which points is it of the negotiation that they really feel yeah. passionate about, but that they didn't let on in their words, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. Or where they were trying to push an agenda that they didn't really believe. Mm, right, yes. Because okay. that's common. Can this skill be learned? Or or yes. is there an awful lot in in the the you know, you talked about you being the the, the kid on the floor watching the adults. <laughs> is is a lot of it in you or can this be a learned skill? Okay, I would say in my case there's a lot of it in me because I can go through when I'm looking at a face, I'm going through layers of information very, very quickly. Like we know the mind is a is a super super computer. And I can, I, for me, I can, I can almost feel the, the, not the wheels, but whatever it is turning very, very rapidly. Mm. Um, so I can teach the technicalities. Right. And the, I can teach the structure, but I can't teach, uh, so far anyway, I can't teach what it is I actually do or how I do it. And you talked about the, the static features or the, the, yep. the uh, and the static features are, are the things that are not, uh, that are permanent, I suppose. And is is there is there kind of two elements to it? There's the static features and the way the face moves. Is that part oh, of yes. it as well? Right. Okay. So absolutely. The, so the reactions of the face are actually part of it too. So that oh, yeah. is it the static features? Is that the story of what's gone past? And the 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 movement is the story of what's happening now. Is that that it? Yeah. There's a distinct element of that. The static the static features tell you about yeah exactly where where they've been, where they've come from in their life where they are now and where they can potentially be. Then the movement, the expression, the micro expressions, because I work with micro expressions and body language as well. So all of that adds to the picture, both in terms of telling you how much they're, how much they've, they're still being influenced by their past because so many people have, whether it's trauma, depression, sadness, whatever in their past, which is still the motivator or the, 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 the driving factor. Right. Or whether, the, whether they're really clearly present. You know, that we talk mindfulness is a big, you know, big thing at the moment. Uh, and that tells you a lot about where they can be. So well, so I'm looking for whether they're whether they're congruent, the words and the actions, the movements are congruent. 
yes. or whether there's whether there are distinct incongruencies, mm. and whether there whether the passion is whether the passion is real and accurate in relation to whatever the the context is that we're dealing yeah. with, or whether it's coming from some other, as I say, some other driving factor, which which may have nothing to do with what's really at hand or what 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 could be developed from the discussion. Yeah, I mean that that begs the question, of course, that. You know, we we are, I always say about people, you know, the work-life balance, I say you can't have work without life. (laughs) The only reason you're able to work is because there's life there before it. And we talk about bringing your whole self to work. But from your point of view, you can't help but bring your whole self to work because we we are who we are in, in terms of our facial profile. That is our whole self. Do you think that in modern corporates that we've tried to sanitize the human's too much uh, yes. and you know make everybody the same in a way uh you know so that we you know uh, there's a lot of things about you know well well this is how we're going to behave in work and so this is how you have to behave but i've always kind of found that well that's sterilizing everybody to try and yeah. make them all into the one little clone and we're not the same have you found that mm-hmm. to be the case definitely definitely yeah um like it last year i was involved in training in one of what and a, a very a very large company here um i won't even mention the sector and um i was told going in you can't do this you can't do this you can't say that you can't you can't have them give feedback you can't have them you can't ask them direct questions and right. it was so controlled and as you say so sterilized that it was nice to get the money, but there was no satisfaction whatever in doing it. Yeah, yeah. Because there was no human. There was no humans. No. They, they weren't allowed to be human in work in, in, in a lot of cases. No, and to me that, that, that also minimizes their potential creativity. And then if, yeah. we look at, if, we look at, if we look at some of the more significant studies on workplaces in recent years, that's so demotivating for employees. Mm. And it has yeah. to be a reason why so many people move on quickly. Yeah. Yeah, they're not allowed to be themselves within that way. Because corporate culture is quite, there's a lot of, uh, you know, they they talk 100%, a strong corporate culture, strong positive corporate culture, should I say, does affect the bottom line. But it then does mean that you might get a lot of clones, you know, who, and and get that whole groupthink element going on. So it's always nice to have a few mavericks in there who are willing to go their own way and maybe swim against the uh, the 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 rest of the <laughs> the rest of the shoal a little bit. Um, Absolutely. Uh, you know, and would would you would you have ever found when you're interviewing people that you've identified, say, something that the the interview hasn't uh, hasn't uh, you know kind of highlighted, and you said, well, you know, when you get this person, you're also getting this element of them, and they've actually kind of gone, oh, brilliant, we we love that. Um, maybe not quite that, but I was, I, I, I do recall one particular, uh, situation where I was, I was hired by a financial services company and they were looking for a CEO for a particular role. And there were two absolutely outstanding candidates who were very, very different. So I actually suggested to them, I, well, I actually strongly recommended, which I wouldn't normally do that. They actually set up another branch of the company. Right. So okay. that they actually yeah. hire both of them. Yes, very and good. They, yeah. they did, and they did. So it opened up a whole other thing that they hadn't they hadn't seen beforehand. And and I suppose the question is, was it a success? It was for a time. It was for a time. The 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 one of the candidates, I knew, I knew he had that. Well, we can call it maverick quality, but he was he was probably going to be too big to stay yeah, yeah, in that yeah. company. But what once they got the arm that particular branch of the business run up and running. That ran and that ran very well. Brilliant. Yeah. He yeah. did. He didn't stay beyond. I think it was a year, but the but the the the, the company the company did. Excellent. Well, he just needed to be the catalyst. Yeah. Yeah. In, <clears throat> interestingly, the next question I have for you is: What have you noticed about leadership? So there's two leaders who who mm-hmm. both fitted the bill, but in different ways. What yeah. have you noticed about leadership? as a result of all the work you've done, you, you know, what are the big things for you that, that make standout leaders uh, in terms of what they're bringing to the game from a facial profiling perspective? Okay, it varies, it varies pretty widely. And it's, um, it's interesting to see how many, how many 
do take care of themselves on a basic physical, mental, and emotional well-being level, and and who don't. Mm. It's interesting to see how many how many are promoted beyond their level of competence. Right, yeah. and they're the ones they're the ones who cause chaos. Yeah, uh, because because they're they know they're not up to it, and they're they're either micromanaging or avoiding making decisions. Okay, and sometimes switching back and forth between the two, and then um, so the ones the, the ones who tend to do best are the ones who have who have the, not just the competence but the confidence to listen as well as make decisions, and who are willing to have people on board who will ask questions. And can you see that in a facial profile when you do that? Can you see a good listener? Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And this is not just the ones with the biggest ears. (laughs) No, 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 absolutely not. No, no, it's not even like the the ears would tell me a lot, but it's not simply whether the the size of the ear or the position of the ear. Um, The most important thing in looking and reading a face is reading the eyes. Okay. Because the eyes tell you so much about like you know the old the, the description of the eyes as the windows to the soul so whether yeah. whether one gets into you know the whole metaphysical side or not the eyes are so revealing of who the person really is um as i, as I mentioned before like their, their emotional past but also the, the the chinese use the word shen which means uh something like life spirit life vitality yeah life force and uh, it tells you how how really engaged with life somebody is how fully present they are and whether they're, it tells you a lot about whether they're whether they're open to open to listening and open to really engaging, or uh, in some cases, like one one thing to watch for when you make eye contact with somebody, is are there's, there's, there's three basic variations: are the eyes warm, are they neutral, or are they cold? Okay. And you'll feel it. You'll feel it as much as see it. Like the whole body, the whole body is an antenna. We talk about body language, so yeah. it's not just what we're conveying; it's what we're perceiving, and the whole body will pick up on. Mm. On, 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 on the language of another so uh, if the eyes are cold which is not uncommon in business or politics uh, particularly at a high level um, then it's a it's a case of mind yourself take care of yourself do not overexpose yourself emotionally because these are people who will take advantage and I don't necessarily mean in any massively destructive way but they're there for their own interest whereas if the eyes are if the eyes are warm it yeah. tells you that you can actually engage with them and they're, they're likely to be more welcoming. What, of, what's the, you know, how do you tell if eyes are cold or warm? Okay, that is, that's a hard one to describe. That's a hard one to describe with words. I can show people images right, of, yeah. of eyes and, and, and ask them what, what's, the, what's their feeling around it because it is a feeling thing as much, probably more than a visual thing. Right. But if you look, for example, if you look, for example, at, the current president of the US. Okay. Mr. Donald as an, Trump. As, as an example, mm-hmm. Mr. Trump. Yeah. Um, regardless of whether, whether one likes him or dislikes him, um, if you look at the eyes, the eyes do not exude warmth. Okay. Um, the, the actor Scott Glenn was, was, uh, was once, I, I, I read about him once being described as the most cold eyed man in Hollywood. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, Lance Armstrong is another one with cold eyes. Right. Okay. So, so you, it, so it's to look, it's to look and allow the, inf- not to look for the information, but allow the information to present itself to you and ask yourself, what am I feeling here? Particularly, what am I perceiving? What I'll do and is look I'll, at, I'll look at a variety. I'll, I'll put a couple of these images up on, on, on the website along with this, uh, along with mm-hmm. this uh, episode download so people can actually have a look at that. So if you go to yeah. com, if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, you'll actually be able to see the pictures that we're talking about. So I'll, I'll crop out the eyes and you can see whether they're cold or warm um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it'll be a nice little experiment. You know, Lance Armstrong obviously admitted mm-hmm. himself that he duped so many people. He he lied through his teeth and through his oh, yeah. pedals and through everything else yeah. he could to to get to where he was. If you were reading his face, what drove him to do that? He he made his whole life a lie, um, oh, yeah. on the basis of winning. But I've always kind of felt well, there must have been some positive intent behind why winning was so important to him. What's your take on Lance from that point of view? Okay. Yeah. Well, we know we know he he had a very 
shall we say, isolated childhood. He didn't get, there was no, there was no great emotional nurturing in his childhood. So psychologists, I know, would have a field day with that. But when okay. I simply look at his face, we know it's very clear that there's a lack of empathy in his face, period. And that goes back, like, I've, I don't just look at one photo of somebody when I'm looking at them in detail. I yeah. look at a whole series of photos through the, through the life. And you can see it, you can see it in his face as a child. Mm. Uh, you can see it, you can see it as an adult. You can see it when, both when he was, when he was successful and we can see it then when the whole, the, the house of cards fell apart. Yeah. And we can see that there's not only is there no empathy in the face, but there's a real anger. There's okay. a huge anger. And we can see that, we can see that in the jaw. His jaw is very tight. And if you look at the famous interview with Oprah, uh, I don't know if it's, I presume it's still up on, uh, on YouTube. Mm. Like when you see he's talking, you see the tension in the jaw and you can see real flashes of anger during the interview too. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, he, can, he, he does have one of those kind of strong, well, you know, it seems like this strong jawline, but very tight right up to the cheeks. Yeah, yeah okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and that's anger. And is, is that anger coming from his childhood as well? It's not for me to analyze that, yeah. but one can, reason, one can reasonably assume. But the Chinese perspective tends to be more about what is rather than why. Okay. And it's, yeah. it's possible when we get into the why that it becomes this unending ball of string we're trying to unravel. Mm. And, and it's not to dismiss it. It's not to dismiss why, but the Chinese perspective is more about the what, what's what's happening now. It's interesting, the American presidential election, for some reason, we, you know, we, we're all interested in it. And we have uh, Joe Biden on the other side. What's what's Uncle Joe's face saying? <laughs> yeah, um, I it's funny. I've actually done a number of webinars with a friend of mine in the US, uh, Susan Ibitz, and she, Susan describes herself as a behavior hacker. And she does face reading and linguistics and a lot of other stuff besides. She's a fascinating character. So yeah. we've done, we've actually done a few webinars on that whole situation. And we're planning another one um, before the election where we'll be talking about the, the candidates and the VPs. Oh, so, that'll be excellent. Um, yeah. that's, that's, that'll, that'll be happening. But um, his, his face is very different. He's very, he, like, it, when we look, it's hard, given that there's so much in the news, it's hard to separate what we're, be, what we're being told or what we're reading yeah, from actually yeah. just looking at the face itself. But it's very evident from his face that he talks a lot. And in his case, it's too much on occasion okay. because it's not, it's not focused. So that's, that's one of the big challenges for him to, to rein oh. it in. And it's also a case that now I know, I know he has been affected by, um, I'm not sure whether it was a stroke or a slight palsy, but you'll notice with him, and it, this actually goes back long before any any um, any illness. You notice be, with him that the mouth slightly tilts up to the right. Okay. Anyway, and what that tells you when you see that is this is somebody who's looking to sell you something. Their default setting is to sell you something, and it doesn't mean they're necessarily lying or being duplicitous, duplicitous in any way, but they will look to convince you of something, which is kind of you know, par for the course for a politician anyway, yeah. especially if they they aspire to higher office. Um, but um, you can also tell, you can also tell in his face that he, he, he has, he tends to be interested in something for a period of time, but then yeah. his interest trails off. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see that, you can see that in how he talks as well, because he'll, he'll talk on, he'll talk on, on message for a time and then he'll just go off somewhere else. But Trump does that too. Yeah, well, Trump does that mid-sentence. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. A, he. I'm not too sure he gets to the end of a sentence before he's gone off somewhere else <laughs> by the time yeah, he yeah. gets there. What about our own politicians? Have you ever had a look at uh, Michal, Leo and Mary Lou? Um, <laughs> yes. What, 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 yeah. what, what do their faces say about them? Okay, well, Michal, I, Michal is, is, is older, so um, and I would be, I'd be more concerned with him. Um, right. What I've noticed with him like obviously he's had a family tragedy with his daughter some years back, mm. which is pretty devastating for anybody and not the sort of, not the sort of, nothing you'd, not, not something you'd wish on anybody. Uh, so he's obviously been through the mill emotionally. Um, but to, to gravitate towards the position of being leader of a national political party, you've got to be prepared to scrap. You've got to be yeah. prepared to make deals, etc. It's not a clean business. That in any country, it's not a clean business. And I've seen this with so many pol political leaders from so many countries over so many years that once they reach the top, there's it's taken a huge toll on them. Yeah. And you can see it. You can see it in his face 
you can see that you can see the darkness under the eyes, the lines under the eyes. Right. And there's so in um, in Chinese thinking, you would you would refer to that as adrenal exhaustion. Now, physiologically speaking or medically speaking, that that's a condition that doesn't exist. But what it tells you is that that there's been a huge amount of overproduction, over secretion of adrenal adrenaline yeah. in his body um, for for a long period of time. So. Um, particularly now in the, in the current circumstances, and particularly with all the challenges he's facing as well within government, he needs to pay particular attention to his health because if he gets knocked flat, yeah, it's going to be much harder for him to recover. Where, for example, Leo Varadkar is obviously much younger. Um, he also has the medical background. We know we know he does emphasise physical well-being in terms of his training. Yeah. So he's 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 paying conscious attention. Now I don't know so much now because um again it's all hands to the pump apparently for yeah for the for the leaders. But we know he's he has paid more conscious attention to his to at least his physical well being. Mm. So it's uh, so there are less of those lines or marks on the face with him. Okay. And and would you say like say Mary Lou, you know, is it harder to read female faces because of the makeup element? Not necessarily, not necessarily, not at this point, because I will see where the makeup is. And even if a photo, even if an image has been photoshopped, I will see where it has been photoshopped. Right. And I will, and if, it, and if an image has been obviously photoshopped, I will dig around to find others that haven't been and compare. Yeah. Because oh, well, there's I, I so many things. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. go on political posters for sure. So some of the politicians, <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, there's a new person. Oh, no, that is them. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. beyond belief. It's, it's very yeah. interesting to see. Yeah. And when I see when I see the big political posters up on up on, on lampposts or whatever, so often I'm thinking, oh, no, no, you really you, you really want people to know that about you. Oh, really? Yeah. So you, oh, you, yeah. you can yeah, see yeah. you can see it in the poster. Mm hmm. Oh yeah, one of my teachers years ago was a uh, Japanese man. He he loved the cinema, but he hated the close-ups on screen. Right, okay. Because they were too revealing. And what what you know what kind of things have you seen on a political poster that you kind of went, oh my god, that's that's shocking to display. Yeah. Oh, you can see things. Uh, you can see things like somebody who's an obvious bully. You can see that they're right. they're so. You can see that they're so cold. That it's pure ambition that's driving them, yeah. Like absolutely ruthless ambition. You can see that there's a um, when we're looking at a face. If we divide the face into two vertical halves, the right side of the person's own face reveals the public persona. The left side reveals the private persona. So right. if you if you take if you get a good photo of um, a politician or, or maybe several politicians yeah. and celebrities, and just just cover one side of the face and then cover the other side, and ask yourself, are both eyes giving the same message okay. and very often you'll find they're giving very different messages that somebody is somebody is confident in public and they're falling apart in private right different eyes is is there a, yes. is there a particular eye that is the private eye <laughs> and the left the left the eye left is, is the private eye the left is private yeah yeah Fascinating. Yeah. I'm going to be going around yeah. looking at everybody's left eye <laughs> from, mm -hmm. from now yeah. on. Sorry, I, I, when I get to meet people again. <laughs> that, that's, the way, that's the way COVID have us, has us at the moment. Yes. I mean, that, that's really fascinating stuff. Has, has COVID brought out uh, the, pa the pandemic and the lockdown? Has that brought out different things in terms of the work that you, you've done? Yes. Um, what, one of the things that kind of just popped up actually that I wasn't actually looking for is the number of people contacting me for individual sessions, obviously over, over Zoom or Skype now, where they're faced with, uh, they're finding it very difficult having to spend time with loved ones that they weren't accustomed to before because right. they're, they're, they're under each other's feet all the time and having, uh, having some very significant communication issues. So I'm very clear when I'm talking with people like that, I'm not there to fix relationships. I'm not a relationship counselor or a therapist. But what I can do, uh, I, I will ask people that they show up on screen, but they then beforehand, they send me good facial shots of whoever it is they're having those challenges with. So I will talk about the different communication styles and how they need to adapt the communication Yes. Yeah. To, actually, to actually create a bridge between them rather than, rather than operating out of their default Okay. Default position. And that's just from a few good photographs. 
um, yeah. of, of the person. You you can actually read that person and say, actually, they like to be communicated to a little bit mm-hmm. more this way. Does it have to be recent photographs? Ideally, ideally. Yeah. But, but um, even an older photograph, depending on how old it is and what else has gone on in the person's life, of course, but even even the two three year old photo will still tell me a lot about the individual anyway as long as it's as long as I can see the facial features clearly yeah okay I, I said I was building myself up to this Joseph because <laughs> I was challenged when I told somebody I was going to be interviewing yeah. you for the podcast yeah. they said oh yeah you should get them to read your face and I was like mm-hmm. uh, I'm not too sure I'm prepared for that uh-huh. but I suppose it's what the listeners want so uh, <laughs> tell me Joseph what is my face saying and uh, wh- what what about my life is is on my face? Okay, okay. Well, we do know each other reasonably well, yeah. so we, we should preface it with that. And the other thing I always say to people, I do not say nice things for the sake of it. Okay. I'm not, I, I am Irish, but I've had so much, I've, I guess I've had so much interaction with people outside of Ireland and I've spent so much time with, with Germans in particular where I've learned to be, I've learned to be quite straight up and direct and I don't do the plum ass thing. So um, there's a number of obvious things about you. As I say, we do know each other reasonably well anyway, but there's a number of obvious things about you. You're a very determined individual, a very determined individual. (laughs) Once you set your mind on something, you're going to go for it. And there's very little that's going to stop you. So that's, that's the first thing. Your physical well-being is very important to you and making sure, making sure you stay physically fit. Is, 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 is an essential part of your overall life, life direction, life purpose, life, life strategy, if you like, because you recognize, you recognize the difference it makes to you when you are physically, physically yeah. engaged in something. That's so true. that's very apparent. That's very apparent in your chin and your jaw. Um, right. your, your, in, terms of, in terms of your mind, you, um, like, again, I do, I do know you, so it's, it, 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 but uh, your forehead tells me a lot about you, how your mind works. <laughs> the wrinkles. Because, <laughs> no, the, the, well, the wrinkles, um, what, what's, what the, what's, I, I should know this off the top of my head, but the, the, um, yeah, the Japanese refer to the wrinkles as, as character building experiences. And, right. and the, wrinkles, the wrinkles actually tell you a lot about how somebody has addressed particular areas of life. Okay. So the wrinkles, are, the, each wrinkle has information. Right. So that's a separate thing. I can't, I can't actually see yours clearly here, but the forehead shape as a whole, <laughs> uh, like the, the, the central part of your forehead is quite vertical, uh, okay. but, then it's, but then it curves off very nicely to, this, to both sides. So that tells me that when, some, when you're engaged in a project, and I know you love to study, so, but when, you, when you're studying something or when you're working on a project, you like to gather all the information, and your eyebrows also confirm that, but you like to gather all the information, but then you, but you do not want to just work with it the way it's always been done. So somebody tells you, somebody yeah. tells you, this is the way we do it. This is the way we've always done it. And this is the way we're going to continue to do it. That doesn't work for you. You <laughs> yeah. have to, t- you have to take it and explore it and see where you can creatively take it and develop it into something else. I have that a, number, essential for a you. number of bosses would say, Jesus, yeah, he, he wrecked my head by doing that. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, that's, yeah, that's, but that's, that's something that if they want the best out of you, they have to allow you to do that. Whereas okay. if they constrain you and say, no, you can't do that, that diminishes your capacity to really engage. It diminishes your motivation. That is spot on. That is absolutely accurate. Yeah. I would say I would say the worst uh, roles I've had is where people tried to, to, to put me in the box where I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. I would say that's very, yeah. very accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and anything else you notice? Uh, anything else you want to you want to hit me with now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, loyalty is very important to you, very mm. important, and you va- you really value two way loyalty. Yeah, and you do not um, you do not open yourself easily to just anybody and everybody. You're not gonna you're not gonna just you're not gonna just open your heart to anybody you meet. You like to build relationships steadily and slowly. And where, where people, I, I, I'm, I'm tempted to use the word earn their way in, but I'm like, that, sounds a bit, that sounds a bit clinical, but mm. people, have to, people have to prove themselves over a period of time. And so you're likely to have, you're likely to have um, a number of very close friendships and relationships rather than, rather than a lot of 
you know, a, like a hundred best friends. No. Or some people will say no. they have that, but that's not you. No, I have a hundred acquaintances and people who <laughs> who I know, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have the hundred best friends. And it's very interesting you say that. And something you couldn't have known is is twenty years ago, uh, give or take, I would have done the PF sixteen, the the personality profile, and from that they would have said that trust is is one of my we'll say issues, but that I. I I'm slow to trust, even though people on the outside would think I'm very fast to trust. So it's interesting that it's not something I display, but you're you're the you're the one uh, second one that's actually pinpointed that through a different uh, just from reading my face. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very very interesting and uh, <laughs> and not painful, which was good. No, well that's that's it. I mean that's one of the one of the one of the I guess Irish characteristics is we we tend to ask people what's what do you see that, you know, what's, what's the horrible thing you see? Yes, and that's yeah. not at all where I'm coming from because one of the things I learned working as a therapist was that even massively successful people have this deficit of confidence Yeah. so often. And I'd rather boost somebody. I'd rather build them up. Like um, I, I, I grew up loving football and there was a very famous um, English football manager in the, the 60s and 70s called Brian Clough. Yeah. And Clough, Clough used to emphasize to his players to work on their strengths mm. more, than, more than to work on their weaknesses. And it's a philosophy that made a huge amount of sense to me. Absolutely. I think that's a, a great place to leave it. Joseph Maguire, this has been one of the most interesting and fascinating conversations we've had on the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast. So thanks a million for your time. Where can people uh, find out more from you, Joseph? Okay, well, they can contact me through my website, which is Clearsight Communications, which is all one word, clearsightcommunications.com. Um, I, I'm, I'm easily reachable on LinkedIn, and I'm very happy to accept uh, new connections. I do, have, uh, I do have a Facebook page under Clearsight Communications as well, and I'm probably more active there at the moment than I have been on LinkedIn of late, but LinkedIn is probably my preferred area to connect. Thanks a million, Joseph Maguire. It's great to have you on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Stephen. Joseph's skill and knowledge are fascinating and his lifelong pursuit of deeper insight into people is, is amazing. It's worth saying that you should always pay attention to people and the expressions their face makes. That's part of the skill of listening, which is an essential leadership skill. But Joseph's story is also a great example of how skills in one industry can be put to great use in another. His shift from Chinese medicine and therapy to the corporate consulting and personal coaching world is a valuable lesson for us all. What skills are you bringing with you to the next phase of your career? I'd like to thank Joseph for his time, a nicer guy you will not meet. Thank you again to everyone who has shared this podcast with their friends and colleagues. The feedback recently has been great and I'd like to give a special thanks to Margaret and Sharon who gave feedback in the past month. Feedback is a gift and so are you too. All the previous 18 episodes are available on my website, www.stephennaughton.com. There really is something there for everyone, and I think hearing the stories of others helps us reflect on our own story too. If there's a topic or an industry you'd like me to cover, please contact me. My email is stephen at stephennaughton.com, and you can find more from me on Instagram at goodbossbadbosspodcast. As usual, I'll be back next month with another Good Boss, Bad Boss guest. So until then, goodbye.